Welcome to Hear Me Over Analyze, where I deep dive things I'm currently obsessed with. Today, I'm going to be overanalyzing the Yellow Jackets season two finale named Storytelling. Disclaimer, I realize this is coming out a bit late. It's been almost a week since this, since this episode came out. I'm sorry, it's not my fault. I had to get chemo literally on the day the finale came out, so today is the quickest that I could turn this around after recovering a little bit from that. That being said, I have gone out of my way to avoid all Yellow Jackets related content online so as not to copy anyone else's thoughts. It's been really hard for me to stay away because I'm obsessed with Yellow Jackets right now. So here we go. We start out in 1996 with everyone returning from the hunt. To kick us off, we see Natalie walking back to the cabin after the hunt, and she looks utterly horrified, traumatized, all of it. Travis is waiting outside because he was so worried about her, and he is so happy to see her, which is absolutely devastating knowing what he's about to see. When the other girls catch up, Van's eyes are wicked. Everyone else, for the most part, looks like they've kind of de-escalated from this intense kind of wolf pack hunt. Not Van. Not Van. She, she stands out for sure. Everyone else looks tired, sad, exhausted, When Travis sees the girls returning and notices Javi being carried on essentially like a pole, Natalie says, Travis, it happened so fast. The wilderness chose. Now, guys, that's important because this is the very first time that we see teen Natalie believing in some sort of power or being that's contributing to their experience in the wilderness I think this shows that this is really fresh trauma and her brain is trying to make sense of this horrible near-death experience I mean what else is she supposed to think in that moment I don't think that she's saying it just to try to make Travis like not angry with her She really seems to believe it in this moment that there was something else that contributed to this horrific experience. When Travis runs over crying, Thaisa is the one to lead the other girls inside without comforting Travis at all. I found that to be really interesting because we're kind of seeing them lose more and more of their humanity here especially Thaisa. She's more of one to to comfort people. We saw her comfort Shauna through all of her very traumatic experiences. So this is a shift for sure. We jump to 2021 and it's a close-up shot of the glasses that Lottie wants everyone to drink from. And we know that one of them is poisoned. Lottie says, we don't get to decide. It chooses. It won't stop until it gets what it wants. 
And then Lottie tries to drink one of the cups. This is interesting because last week it was pointed to one of the other women said out loud that Lottie is the only one who knows which one is poisoned. By her trying to drink one, it seems like she chose the poisoned one and was willing to be the sacrifice for the group, which is a little odd considering Lottie is about to go hard on the fact that it's not really up to them who dies. It's up to the wilderness. So maybe this is just to reiterate the mental health crisis that Lottie is currently experiencing, but it is my opinion that the glass she tries to drink from is the poisoned glass. That is what I believe. Shauna leads the way in stopping her from drinking it. Shauna proposes the idea that we do have to do it the way that we used to and everyone is horrified except Lottie who hugs Shauna for that validation and behind Lottie's back in the hug Shauna's motioning to the rest of the group like no I'm not serious about this I haven't completely lost it Lottie is very adamant that they go through the ritual that night which tells us that the women have about 12 hours from beginning to end of this episode because um, it is still dark outside when they're like hugging and all of that. So we're led to assume that it's very early morning. So at least 12 hours. It is queued up very early that Lottie is supposed to make sure that the rest of the compound stays out of the woods, stays in their cabins, and is not involved in this at all. It's pointed to multiple times throughout the episode. After Lottie leaves, Natalie says, why are you humoring her? She's homicidal. Despite the audience knowing that this ritual ends in death, like that is very obvious, Despite that, having Natalie say the word homicidal really pulls the idea that someone is going to be murdered to the forefront of our brains. So that is supposed to be at the front, even though we kind of already know. Shauna explains that she is just trying to buy time. She is not trying to have a hunt in the woods, old-timey style. Misty proposes the idea of having like a crisis team come out to recommit Lottie or to hospitalize Lottie for her own good in some way shape or form. Thaisa verbally agrees but if you watch Van's face in that scene she's opposed to the idea right away. Natalie thinks hospitalizing Lottie isn't going to be enough which is interesting so it's kind of like her and Van are on opposite ends of the spectrum in this. But then Van says, this isn't just about her mental illness. This is also her trauma, which for some reason Van doesn't think that mental health intervention would assist with trauma-related crisis. There's a chance we're supposed to gather that Van is mistrusting of medical professionals in this episode. We know that Van has cancer. We know that she told Thaisa that she only has months to live. 
but we haven't seen any evidence that Van attempted to treat her cancer at all. I know that's a choice that some people make, especially if they're told that their cancer is terminal, but I'm just proposing the idea that there might be something to Van mistrusting medical professionals. So she's not interested in seeking treatment for herself, Lottie, Thaisa, anybody. We jump back to 1996 with Lottie lying awake in the attic. In my opinion, she already looks visibly healed compared to last episode, episode eight. Misty goes up to the attic where Lottie is and Lottie asks why Travis was screaming. Misty explains that they're going to eat Javi. After episode eight, there was definitely speculation I saw online around how much Lottie knew and if she was After episode eight, there was definitely speculation online around how much Lottie knew and if she was having like play-by-play visions of what the group was doing while she was sick in the attic. Lottie doesn't seem to know any details about the hunt, so I'm going to assume at least at this point that she did not have play-by-play visions. Missy explains the hunt the cards, the queen, all of it to Lottie, and Lottie is horrified. This is in direct contrast with 2021 adult Lottie, who is excited about the idea of a hunt, who is saying that they must do the hunt. These scenes are back-to-back intentionally to show us like how much adult Lottie is experiencing trauma or whatever it is that she's experiencing. Lottie says, how could you let them? And Misty says, how could I? Lottie, you started this. It's done and it's going to save all of our lives. So you better not start making people feel bad about it in there. Misty then comes down from the attic and lies to the entire group when she says, Lottie's pleased with the wilderness's decision. This is huge, guys, okay? I think this is immensely important. Last episode, I talked about how we're really seeing the teenager's interpretation of the mysticism and the idea of the personified wilderness without Lottie. And now, even though Lottie is technically back saying this is wrong we are seeing misty it's it's gotten out of lottie's control now it is bigger than her so in this lie misty is assuaging everyone's guilt we're just continuing to see that misty really is a natural caregiver bear with me here some people might be freaking out and going misty is not a care i hear you i hear you bear with me Her biggest problem then and now is that she operates based off of her own moral compass and her own moral code that is very strict. And it's also pretty deranged. So that's the the biggest problem is that Misty really is ride or die to 
like literally ride or die. She will do anything to protect people that she loves within the confines of her own moral code. Apparently, Shauna is still the only person there who can use a knife. So they prompt her to go start butchering Javi. I'm going to use butcher as a verb coming up a couple of times. I just want you to know I feel very uncomfortable with that, talking about it in the context of a human being. I don't know what other word to use. I just don't. If there is a better word to use, I am totally open to that. Educate me on that word. I would prefer to use a different word. That is just the word that I currently have. Travis is still outside hugging poor Javi's body and mourning. Unlike Jackie, they do remove all of Javi's belongings, his clothes, his shoes, to reuse them. This, again, is signifying how the group is changing, becoming less sentimental, all of that. No one even says any words. Up until now, anyone who has passed, there's been like a little like kind of moment of silence and someone says something nice. None of that happens. They've they're they're past that at this point. Shauna, however, can't look while she's doing this next part, which I do believe wholeheartedly is her humanity shining through. I talk about Shauna in a little bit. I am Shauna. She broke my heart this episode. She puts her hat over her face so that she doesn't have to see what she's about to do. Van finally looks sad, but she does move Javi's body in a way that would help Shauna's task, especially because Shauna's not looking. Cut to... 2021, Misty is sneaking into Lottie's cabin. She is looking for Lottie's medication that would have her doctor's information on the label. She also breaks into the infamous wardrobe that Natalie has already broken into once. This wardrobe is not very secure, but Misty does break into it so that she can get her phone along with some other personal items as we see later. In the wardrobe, though, we also see Natalie's rifle. And at this point, it is just straight up Chekhov's gun on the mantle, right? Like this, they could not point more to it. So we see it. Misty doesn't take it. It gets taken later by someone else. Walter, who is decked out in his heliotrope, has apparently arrived at the compound completely unnoticed and walks in on Misty. At this point, I 100% believe that Walter is a current or former member of this compound. He not only had the purple ready to go, he knew where Lottie's cabin was and the layout of the rest of the compound in general, as we see later, even though it's still daylight, so the innocent members, like just, I don't know what else to call them except Lottie's cult followers, are still allowed to be up and about. They are not confined to their bedrooms yet. Nobody notices Walter. Yes, 
I know Walter is a hacker, so I suppose he could have memorized the layout from like Google Earth or something, but he arrived a little too seamlessly for me to believe he has no connection to this place. I just don't buy it, guys. I don't. Walter is not just a Misty fangirl. I just don't believe. I don't buy it. We jump sideways over to Van and Ty, who are making the masks for the hunt. Ty says that Lottie is sick, and Van says that she's not, or if she is, then so are you. Okay, so we're learning Van believes that there is some sort of personified wilderness, even as an adult which explains other Ty and Lottie's mysticism. She doesn't see it as a coincidence or a reaction to trauma. And she uses Ty's vulnerability right here in this moment around Ty's embarrassment around like other Ty, the sleepwalking, to make excuses for Lottie. So she kind of says, like, well, if Lottie needs to be hospitalized, then so do you, which obviously Ty wouldn't want. It's manipulation. Van says, Ty, we have all felt it in our own way. She doesn't think that a psych ward would help Lottie or Ty. And I just want to pause right there because arguably it did help Lottie for a long time just because she is experiencing a psychiatric crisis right now does not mean that she has been experiencing a psychiatric crisis for 25 years so it did work for a long time and we have no idea if it would help Thaisa because there has been absolutely no mention of Ty ever receiving any sort of mental health services. So we don't know. Van then says, we handle this ourselves, protect each other. Didn't we all swear we would? So a couple things here. Getting Lottie mental health services is protecting her. She just tried to drink poison. And she's talking about recreating ceremonies where at least one person will die. To protect Lottie and others, you have to protect her from herself right now. Secondly, what exactly is Van's plan instead? If we're not doing psychiatric intervention, what, what's the other option, Van? How is going along with this protecting anybody? Later on, she doesn't seem like she's trying to protect anyone. Natalie is with Shauna in the kitchen area, and Natalie is burning the other queens in a deck of cards so that there's only the queen of hearts left. And Shauna is dulling all of the knives without Lottie's knowledge in hopes that they can't be used as weapons. I actually thought that was really smart of them to try to eliminate any weapons that Lottie might access. And the only problem is I wish Natalie had thought about the fact that Lottie had Natalie's rifle. Obviously, Lottie doesn't utilize the rifle, but 
If we're trying to eliminate weapons from the premises, I wish that Natalie had thought of that. We jump sideways. We are still in 2021. We spent a lot of time in 2021 in this particular episode. We are with Jeff and Callie. They are driving to the compound and apparently talking about the feasibility of disappearing themselves. (laughs) Jeff is very honest and says he doesn't know what to do. But he also gives Callie a whole bunch of information that she didn't necessarily need. Last episode, we saw Callie experiencing a lot of trauma, a lot of stress surrounding finding out who her mom really is and worrying that some of the brutality that her mother exhibits could be genetic. Jeff doesn't seem to pick up on the fact that he should be protecting his daughter a little bit from that. So in a convoluted way, he tells her about the carjacking and about how Shauna got the gun from the carjacker. And then he accidentally implies that the gun is in the glove box literally inches from Callie's hands. This is the second gun of the episode that is very clearly pointed to. And don't worry, they're not red herrings from the writers, as we see both later in the episode. Hooray! They pull up to the compound and curious purple people are walking toward them, which totally freaks them out. And they drive around to try and find another way in that is devoid of purple people. Of course, as they back up, they almost hit the car behind them that contains Kevin Tan and Creepy Cop. Last episode recap, I said I was going to learn Creepy Cop's name. Well, I changed my mind. Why would I learn it? He's so creepy and everyone knows who I'm talking about. So when I say Creepy Cop, you know who I mean. Mustache, creepy, get teenagers drunk cop that I do not like. You guys know. We jump sideways again. We are still in 2021 and we see Natalie finding and talking to Lisa. Lisa is dying clothes heliotrope, which honestly doesn't seem important, but I thought it was hilarious how many socks she was dying purple and hanging from the ceiling. Like, this, even socks, guys. There were so many socks. It was pretty funny. It was a nice little detail. Natalie says to her, I need you to leave while you still can. I'm assuming Natalie doesn't think it's safe for Lisa to stay anywhere near them or the compound while they're recreating this hunt because she's seen the wilderness take innocent or random bystanders before. So she does not trust that Lottie's warning about how the compound member should stay away will be enough. She knows. Natalie knows how this works. Natalie says, please just go. Get yourself some regular clothes. Go have a life. You don't have to be one of these people. Just go, okay? In my opinion, this is really interesting because it's a warning for more than just that night, okay? Natalie wants Lottie out 
of Lisa's life completely. Natalie follows it up with, I appreciate you trying to teach me forgiveness. It's a nice idea. Natalie explaining that she doesn't understand the concept of forgiveness broke my heart. Natalie breaks my heart so many times this episode. She can't forgive herself. She can't forgive the other women. She can't forgive her mom. She can't forgive her dad. It's all too much. She feels incapable. And to be fair, Natalie's the only one of the women that we know of, other than Lottie, who's done a ton of work on her mental health. Yes, that was through drug rehab programs, but she still did it many times. So she has worked on herself and still struggles with that concept. We jump back to 1996. And freaking Coach Ben comes back. I was very clear in my episode 8 recap that I hate Coach Ben. And then I got online and I saw a lot of people giving Coach Ben love. And I was so freaking confused, guys. All I have to say is I told y'all. I told y'all. He is an immature, selfish, little, mm, not a fan. Zero out of ten. Anyway, he comes back from his little adventure. He sees Shauna butchering and looks excited, relieved, because he obviously thinks that they got, like, a wild animal. He takes a closer look, and he sees... In my opinion, again, I don't know anything about this, but based off of the camera angles and shots, he sees way too much blood. And then he sees Javi's shoes, puts the pieces together, and he looks horrified because he's really judgmental and he doesn't even know what happened yet. And yes, he should be horrified because it was horrific, but don't. Coach Ben, get out of my life. Natalie comes up behind him and asks where he's been. Coach asks, what happened? And Natalie looks so traumatized and he just shakes his head like he's casting it off, like he doesn't even care. And then he just starts talking about what he wants to talk about. I I cannot stand this man. I, I literally can't. Then... As if he didn't just see Shauna cutting up a body, he says, I figured out where Javi was hiding. I think that you and I together could probably survive the winter. You don't have to stay here. You're not like the rest of these girls. Excuse me? Coach Ben, do not get me wrong. I am upset with what happened to Javi as well, but I know because it's my opinion, that you were going to come back and say those words to Natalie anyway, even if they had not just had to make a horrific decision to ensure their survival. I know that you were going to come back and say that stupid stuff anyway. So excuse me, she's not like the, the rest of the girls, the girls that have been keeping you alive. And what about Travis? And what about Javi? I'm not even 
convinced that you are certain that Javi's passed yet. What about them? No, just the girls. Just the girl. Okay. I'm done. I'm done with him. I just can't. <sighs> Natalie explains that she thinks she's worse than the rest of the girls because she let Javi die in her place. This is so clearly trauma talking and coach Ben has the audacity to look at Natalie like she's a horror horrible monster monster I'm gonna repeat that line then coach Ben gives her a look like she's a horrible monster and one single solitary tear drops down his face I'm so over him Natalie calls him a good person, which I'm just going to attribute to her recent trauma because, in my opinion, he is not. And she doesn't mean that, in my opinion. We cut sideways to Travis talking to Van. And he says, you should be ashamed. And I'm going to cut snippets out of what Van said, but the important to what I'm going to discuss response from Van is... Well, I'm not. I'm glad I'm alive, just like you are. Let your brother save you, Travis. I think it's a really weird choice to have Van talking to Travis about this instead of Thaisa. Thaisa was my gut initial chosen character of who would have been the best fit to talk to Travis because so far she's usually the one to have difficult conversations with people but I guess what makes Van the natural choice right here is that she doesn't feel bad and I imagine that Ty does feel bad I think there's also a possibility that Ty doesn't remember the actual hunt the same way that Ty doesn't remember eating Jackie so she wouldn't have been incredibly useful in this conversation so I guess Van is the natural next choice but it did strike me as a little bit odd in the moment cut to 2021 and Walter is in the compound industrial kitchen he's making hot chocolate and singing send in the clowns from the musical a little night music the song is about two people being right for each other this does seem to point to misty more than the song from sweeney todd in the previous episode though it could be a misdirection if you've listened or watched my previous videos you'll know that i personally don't think that that song that he was listening to last episode was about misty but this one might might be or just misdirection who knows Kevin Tan comes in and Walter acts terrified. And I do say act because I very much believe it is an act. Do you buy that Walter's sort of manic comparison of citizen detectives to police officers is real? Because I don't. I think Walter is acting in a way to completely disarm Kevin Tan. At the very least, it distracts Kevin. It does that for sure. Walter gives Kevin a mug of hot cocoa. But 
Walter does get important information from Kevin before Kevin drinks from the hot cocoa. I just want to point out, this is the second time we've seen hot cocoa in this series. And both times someone dies. We can't trust hot cocoa, y'all. Hot cocoa is canceled. Pour it down the drain. All right, from what we've seen... Walter has only suspected Misty of killing Adam. Misty never at any time brings up her friends surrounding Adam's death and disappearance, including when she calls and leaves that kind of ridiculous voicemail on Walter's phone. Kevin saying that they were there in regards to Shauna is the first time that Walter is pointed in that direction that we know of. Walter very hilariously brings up improv techniques in a minute in his conversation with Jeff, and we see him use them right here when he rolls with Shauna's name. He kind of yes-ands it. This whole thing is, in my opinion, an improv exercise to him. He is moving these characters around a figurative dollhouse this whole episode. This is all Walter orchestration. It's beautiful. Okay, so get ready for a rant because Walter says to Kevin Tan about Sha- in regards to Shauna, she's not the only one. There's practically a coven of them, all up to no good. Walter using the word coven in my opinion, is very telling here. I believe that this points in the direction of Walter's bad intentions. I'm going to set aside the debate around whether you, dear listener, want to qualify what the adult women are doing is in any way related to witchcraft because for this next part, it doesn't matter. So you keep on believing what you want to believe about what the women are actually doing. If you research witches, witchcraft, paganism, witch hunts, etc., and the vocabulary historically associated with those things, you will see that words associated with witchcraft are so often used to belittle, degrade, and discount women. Oftentimes women that have absolutely zero association with witchcraft or paganism in general. It's a really easy tactic that people still use today to make women seem evil and unpredictable. Walter describing the women as a coven tells us one of two things. Either Walter truly believes that these women are evil, and that's why he's actually there to take down the women in some way, shape, or form. Or he's pretending that they're evil and just saying this to Kevin Tan to kind of appease him and disarm Kevin. I don't personally believe this second option because, well, Kevin Tan is about to drink the hot chocolate and then be in a trunk and then some other things. So what would be the point? It seems to me that Walter is being truthful in this moment because he doesn't really have any reason not to be. So yeah, I do believe that him using that word shows us his true intentions toward these women, unfortunately. All 
Unfortunately to everyone who's hoping that Walter and Missy are soulmates. Sorry. Cut sideways a little bit. They're about to intersect. Jeff and Callie are walking up to the building with the kitchen. An important note here is that night has fallen, meaning the women are about to have their little rendezvous in the woods where everyone is supposed to stay away. But Jeff, Callie, Kevin Tan, and I'll include Creepy Cop don't have this information. (laughs) I imagine Walter does from Misty. We get a funny little talk where Callie calls Jeff out on the blackmail and how this is really all his fault. But as they're walking up, they see Kevin Tan in the kitchen. They had no idea that Kevin and Creepy Cop followed them there, so they start freaking out. Jeff tells Callie to go find Shauna and that he has a plan. First of all, sending your teenage daughter out at night wandering around a place she doesn't know with funny looking purple people around seems like a bad idea jeff second of all jeff you don't know where creepy cop is and you know he's creepy can you just stay together this is scary movie 101 jeff come on you were being such a good dad last episode Okay, as Jeff is walking into the kitchen, we can hear Kevin Tan say, this Jessica Roberts person, she was involved in all of this how? Showing us that Walter really is laying out all the information. We have never seen Misty tell Walter about Jessica Roberts. This is clear evidence to me that Walter knows everything that's going on. And I hate to say it, guys, I don't think it's for the love of Misty. Jeff approaches and confronts Kevin about following them there. Walter steps out, but is for sure still listening. And then Jeff gives Kevin a fake confession, which is really sweet. He is willing to take the fall for Shauna and says that he's the one that killed Adam Martin. The actor who plays Jeff is having this amazing moment. He is acting the crap out of this scene. He's crying, opening up about how he killed Adam to protect his family. And then right in the middle of it, Kevin passes out. The way that this show makes me laugh is messed up. I love it. I love it so much. Obviously, Jeff has no idea what's going on and he freaks out. Walter walks back in and says, phenobarbital, like that is going to make sense of the situation for poor innocent little Jeff who thinks that taking a trip to Colonial Williamsburg and churning butter is an exciting, spontaneous getaway. So poor Jeff. Walter says, that was a beautiful false confession. I could see it came out of real love. And Jeff says, are you like one of the cult people? And Walter says, oh, no. Do you want to help me move this body? Okay. (laughs) So phenobarbital is a sedative. So Kevin is not currently deceased. However, Walter is already referring to him as a body, which I think says a lot about Walter. (laughs) Next... 
Walter uses beautifully, I want to add, really common panic strategies with Jeff for this next part to get Jeff into action and to help him. He gets down on Jeff's level. He calls him buddy, which may be condescending in a different context, but in a panic situation, it's a calming strategy. He acknowledges that this is a really stressful situation. He reassures Jeff that everything's going to be fine. And then he gives Jeff really clear instructions on what he should do next. These are really common strategies that most people who work with the public are trained in. Even I have been trained in this. And it works beautifully on Jeff so that Jeff will help Walter. I feel like that clip should honestly be used in training videos for these strategies. <laughs> Can you imagine? That would be crazy. But it, it's amazing how, how well it works. We jump back to 1996 with freaking Coach Ben in the cave. And this man has been trying to start a fire, struggling because he has had the teenagers taking care of him since the plane crash and hasn't learned how to do a freaking thing on his own. We do hear dripping, though, while he's in there, which is the most interesting thing to me because a grown man not being able to take care of himself is uninteresting to me. Back to the cabin. Shauna comes in with some meat. I don't know what else to call it, guys, so, including Javi's heart. They look to Travis in a similar way that they kind of looked to Shauna when it, in regards to Jackie. Shauna took the first bite. But the... First, there's multiple second shots on some of the girls, and you just see them breathing really hard. It shows how hungry they are, yes, but it also harkens back to making the girls look like a pack of wolves. Poor Travis. I, I'm going to try to get through this part as quickly as possible because it's honestly horrific. Travis is crying. He puts his wooden wolf figurine on the mantle. He takes Javi's heart from Shauna and bites. He, he looks sad and disgusted with himself. And then everyone puts the meat in the skillet. Misty brings Lottie some food. Food? I don't... Food upstairs. And she doesn't want to eat it. Misty basically has to force Lottie to eat. And Lottie says... I thought it wanted what was best for us. Now I'm not so sure. And Misty says, and your team needs you. Eat. So again, we see Misty being this kind of like ruthless caregiver. Her own moral code. Very quickly jump back to 2021. Like I said, we stay in 2021 for most of the episode. And Lottie is standing with her eyes closed in her cabin and this song titled god is alive magic is afoot is playing and it is so creepy and so perfect i'm obsessed lottie seems to be communing in some way she notices that her wardrobe has been broken into and it doesn't piss her off like you may 
expect. Like if someone broke into a locked wardrobe that I had, I'd be like, that was locked for a reason, but it doesn't, it doesn't piss her off at all. She seems like excited by it. We see Van watching Ty call Lottie's doctor and crisis team and telling them not to come get her. Ty says they're going to bring Lottie in themselves, which is very much a blatant lie. And then we see everyone start to meet in the woods. We see Natalie put an actually sharp knife up her sleeve, which just kind of confirms the idea that Natalie understands more than anyone how quickly this situation can get out of hand, even if everyone were all just play acting until a crisis team came and got Lottie, Natalie is not trusting this situation to go well. The song God is Alive, Magic is Afoot has been playing this whole time. And then it cuts out on the verse for magic loves the hungry. Guys, perfection. It was beautiful. Shauna asks Misty when the crisis team is coming. I imagine that Shauna probably thought that they were going to get there before they even needed to have this meeting in the woods. So her and Misty and I, Natalie are probably all panicking. Misty accidentally uses the pronoun we in her response as the watchers, as the the watchers the audience we know that we refers to misty and walter but natalie who is a little hyper vigilant about how this whole thing is going to go picks up immediately on that little slip but before misty can explain lottie gets there and they have to stop talking this is important not necessarily because of walter but because natalie can tell that this is already not going according to plan. Natalie knew from the start. It never does go according to plan, is my guess. We cut sideways to Callie walking through the freaking woods by herself. And she comes upon Creepy Cop. Not sure where he's been or what he's been doing, but here he is in the woods. Callie apparently went back to the car and got the gun out of the glove box and she's hiding it behind her back because creepy cop can't be trusted. She takes the safety off the gun. It's getting really intense. We're like, oh my gosh, Callie's going to kill creepy cop and his phone rings. It's Kevin Tan's phone calling creepy cop's phone. And we see Walter holding up his own phone where he recorded Jeff's false confession to Kevin Tan without anyone knowing. So when Jeff politely said to a stranger, can you please leave so I can talk to this police officer, Walter recorded it. Anyway, Walter is playing only Kevin's voice in the phone so that creepy cop can only hear Kevin's voice say a couple of words. But of course, it, it's not making a whole lot of sense. So creepy cop is super confused and leaves trying to find Kevin Tan. Walter and Jeff put Kevin's phone 
in the trunk of the unmarked police car with Kevin's body. I Now I'm saying body because Walter said body, but Kevin Tan is merely sedated right now. He is still alive. <sighs> but we can get back to how Walter literally now has in his possession a recording of Jeff's false confession. And I'm just supposed to feel okay about it? I want to remind everyone that Walter was drinking straight up milk from a wine glass last episode. I do not trust this man. I do not trust him with blackmail material. Okay, I'll try to get over it, guys. Cut sideways again. Still in 2021 to Lottie showing everyone the queen card. And she starts to shuffle. Shauna asks to shuffle the deck more, which seems fitting because of who eventually draws the queen. And Ty says, Lottie, can we talk about this some more? You can trust us, right, Van? And Van looks freaking entranced. It's at this point that it is obvious to me that Van wants this just as much as Lottie does. Van has no intention of getting Lottie help or listening to Thaisa, anything. Any notion that we had from season one or earlier in season two that Ty was the kind of default leader between the Ty-Van situation is completely gone. From here on out, Ty seems to defer to Van. Van volunteers to choose a card first, which seemed to shock everybody. This implies to me that in season three, we're going to see that there's a specific order that everyone is supposed to choose. And for whatever reason, Van has just broken that. Ty says to Van after Van has just, and now it's Ty's turn to choose a card. Is this what you wanted to happen? Yes, Ty. Obviously. What did you think the plan was? Aren't you glad you called off the crisis team now? Like, what did you think was going to happen, Ty? Sorry. I'm not sorry, honestly. Lottie says to Thaisa, Thaisa, are you refusing to draw? Because you know what happens if you do. Obvious implication is that that person is inherently chosen. Another nod of things to come. Lottie very much seems in charge of this meeting, which is really interesting considering we know that at the end of the episode, Lottie chooses Natalie as the leader. So I don't know why she feels comfortable with this sh dynamic shift, but Lottie very much seems to be the leader right now. When Lottie holds up her card and it's not the queen, she honestly looks disappointed, in my opinion. This helps confirm my theory that Lottie wanted to be the sacrifice at the beginning of the episode when she tried to drink from what I believe was the poisoned glass. When no one draws the queen, Lottie says, again, and it honestly looks like we have other or bad tie now because she looks like she's in agreement. Her face has changed. 
Natalie, Misty, and Shauna look horrified. Even Van hesitates. So I'm curious what that means about how that's going to play out in the teenage timeline in season three and beyond. If no one draws the queen, do they not have a hunt? That's what seems to be implied, but I don't know. We're having flashes now of the women in current day with their teenage selves drawing cards until the queen is chosen and Shauna draws the queen. All of the other women immediately back away from her and go put on the masks. There's a shift that happens right here. And Shauna, you know, does the bargaining thing. Hey, come on. And everybody turns around in their masks all at the same time. And Thaisa is brandishing a freaking knife. It is so creepy. The stuff of nightmares, honestly. Lottie says, Shauna, it's up to you. The way we used to, you can... You can submit or you can run. And Shauna says, okay, time out. We're not really doing this, are we? Okay, so you've all actually lost your minds. You know there's no it, right? It was just us. And Lottie says, is there a difference? Ah, guys, this is huge. There's not a ton to analyze about it. It's pretty simple. Perception is reality, right? That's that's what it boils down to. Shauna is technically running, but also seems like it's just like non-participation. She's not actively running. It's more of just like walking away. But we, we could call it a slow speed chase if you want. We cut sideways again to Creepy Cop. Finding Kevin in the trunk of their car. As he opens up the trunk, Walter runs up behind him from out of nowhere, grabs Creepy Cop's gun, and shoots Kevin three times, presumably in the head. So I'm very glad that Kevin Tan was sedated for that, and I'm horrified. Walter looks amazed with himself, just exhilarated. Similarly to how he looked when he like hit Randy during the fake interrogation. And then Walter gives Creepy Cop a choice. Blaming Adam and Jessica Roberts' deaths on Kevin. Presumably, Walter has altered phone and banking information to point in the direction of Kevin, making Creepy Cop a hero, or Walter will change the records to point to Creepy Cop, which is my personal preference. He doesn't have much time to make his choice, though, because we hear sirens in the background, and Walter tells us that he has called the police. Now we cut back to... Shauna running through the woods and bam, Callie steps out from behind a tree and shoots Lottie in the arm. Callie very much looks like she will keep shooting if she needs to. And Shauna is trying to get her to stop. It very much does seem like Shauna is trying to protect Callie from the same type of trauma that she herself experienced. 
It's not that she doesn't want Lottie to stop or even be killed, but she doesn't want Callie to be the one responsible. Lottie pulls her mask off and says, is this your daughter? And honestly, she looks completely enraptured with the idea of Shauna's daughter. This harkens back to teen Lottie's infatuation with Shauna's baby. I don't have a lot of theories about Lottie's infatuation with Shauna's children, but I bet the people who think Callie is pit girl are losing their freaking minds over this. The gunshot seems to have snapped the rest of the group of of women, except Lottie, out of whatever trance they may have been in. And Lottie then says that it is with them right now. Shauna cannot stand this nonsense anymore and says, Misty, where the F is the psych team? And then Ty has to explain that they called them off because Van didn't want to do it. And it seems that regular Ty, normal Ty, whatever we're calling, is back with us and we no longer have other Ty. Van's response is, it's not right. She's like this because of us. And I got to tell you guys, this is pretty frustrating. Because first of all, we know that Lottie has struggled with delusions and visions since she was a little kid. I have to assume that adult Van knows this, but... I suppose it's possible she doesn't. Second of all, even if Lottie is experiencing delusions because of what the other girls did during their 19 months in the wilderness, that does not mean psychiatric intervention can't help. Yes, I'm sure psychiatry and therapy in general will be so much better in the future. But even still today, people work on past traumas and learn to cope within the confines of society. Van very much feels like an enabler in this moment, which is really sort of complex because at other times we see her basically being a follower of Lottie's, but like in a brutal, ruthless way. Personally, I don't often associate enabling behavior with ruthlessness, so I just find that series of characteristics fascinating. It's just something I don't see often. And then Lottie says, everyone listen, what do we hear? And the lack of response from the women really shows how far removed Lottie is from reality in this moment. And it's... This is where it starts to get sad for Lottie. We jump back to 1996, and this is where the title of the episode comes from, and it is glorious. When I saw the title of the episode, Storytelling, I was a little bummed out at first. I thought it was kind of a lame title, and I, after the episode, I completely love it obviously as someone who becomes obsessed with stories this is my niche this really is my wheelhouse when Lottie comes down from the attic 
everyone hugs her and Lottie looks horrified. This very much reminds me of the scenes where someone is actually dead or near death and they're having visions like Jackie and the hot Coco and everyone welcoming her. It was just like too smiley, that kind of like shine on it too. It very much felt like that to me, but there's no indication that this next part in 1996 is imaginary. So while it harkens back to that, it does seem to be reality. They're sitting around the fire and the girls ask Van to tell them a story. Some suggestions are thrown around and we could deep dive into those titles and explain why they're relevant, but I think this next part is just so wonderful. I want to talk about it instead. Van says, what about something you haven't heard before? And proceeds to tell them the story of the wilderness. While we hear Van telling this story, we see a-hole Coach Ben stealing the teen's matches. So my fear is that some people only focused on what they saw and kind of ignored what Van was telling in this story because I know that maybe it's because I am so incredibly angry with Coach Ben and I just get irrationally angry every time he's on the screen especially when he's stealing something so vital from the teenagers but I digress I'm gonna try to get through the coach Ben stuff quickly the implication with him stealing the matches is that he's so inept at keeping himself alive that he can't even start that fire from earlier we know that what he does with at least a few of the matches later on um, and I'm going to stop talking about him because he's the worst. So I want to focus on Van's story. She continues this personification of the wilderness. She says it was beautiful and full of life but it was also lonely and violent and misunderstood. So one day the wilderness built a house. It waited. Summers came Winters came. And then Lottie interrupts her. And I'll get to that and I'll analyze that. But first, let's analyze or overanalyze this little bit of story that we get from Van because I'm obsessed. Van has just described stereotypical and I'm gonna say stereotypical we are dealing with stereotypes for this next little bit so bear with me everybody Van has just described teenage girls or at least these teenage girls and a lot of teenage girls so let's go through it beautiful and full of life teens early 20s a are often described as the prime of life. Standards of beauty are literally formed around teenagers and young adults, specifically girls. We know the fashion industry is primarily female, for better or worse, worse. It, it focuses on women. Okay, so beautiful and full of life. They were. Think of the girls pre-plane crash, 
beautiful and full of life. Lonely and violent and misunderstood. This also describes stereotypically teenage girls. Okay? Bear with me. So many teenagers emotionally are lonely, violent, maybe not physically, but sometimes also physically, and misunderstood. This is the nail in the coffin for me around whether Lottie's delusions are real or not. The wilderness is the teenagers, and there is no mysticism here. There's a real possibility that this isn't the first time horrible things have happened in this particular wilderness, but at least for right now with these people, they are that personified wilderness. It's significant that Lottie interrupts this story. I don't think that she interrupted it on purpose because it is going against her version of reality. I don't think she did it on purpose. But I do think that the writers are pointing to the fact that Lottie's subconscious cannot bear this reality right now. So she interrupts it with her own reality, which I will explain. Okay, so Lottie interrupts and says, I never wanted to be in charge. It chose me, I think, because because I was the only one who knew how to listen, but I can't hear it anymore. I think that's because it doesn't need me anymore. You all learned how to hear it, to feel it. Maybe what it wants for us now is a leader who can help us survive the rest of the time we're out here. And I cut a little bit out. The wilderness chose who fed us. It's already chosen who should lead us. So we immediately have Lottie moving away from the brutal reality and personifying the wilderness again. The wilderness has chosen the new leader. The wilderness chose who fed us. It wasn't the brutality of survival. It was the wilderness. So she's implying that everyone should put their trust back into that mystical deity being. Again, I am not saying she is contradicting Van intentionally in this moment, but that is what is happening. That is what is literally happening. When Lottie says that the wilderness has already chosen the leader, I thought this was such a nice little detail. Ty and Misty each like sit up a little, like straighten their backs up, like they're about to be chosen. And then Lottie says, Natalie, which I thought was spectacular. Jump back to 2021, and we're going to be looking, taking a good hard look at poor Lottie's madness right now. 
before the actress playing adult Lottie did a really good job not giving a ton away around whether Lottie was experiencing delusion or not. Like often it was really hard to tell. But when we cut back to Lottie in this moment, it is very clear that Lottie is unwell. Lottie is pleading her case to the women about how the wilderness is real and how they must see it. She's bringing up examples of their recent erratic behavior again. But for the most part, everyone is really quiet, which speaks volumes. And they're just tending to Lottie's gunshot wound. Lottie does make one really good point right here. Because she says, Van, I saw it in your eyes just then. I did. And you know what? I'm with you, Lottie. Van was all in. She was. I'm with you on that one, Lottie. I'm not with you on much right now. I'm with you on that. Okay. Natalie is visibly struggling right here. She's shuffling from one foot to the other. And when Lottie gets to her and her little Wizard of Oz speech, she says, It was in you, Nat. It was in you, even when you denied it, especially then. You were always its favorite. Natalie cannot handle that. And she screams, Why can't you ever stop? And in this, we're having flashbacks to when Natalie was on the brink, when adult Natalie was on the brink of unaliving herself and a scene of teenage Natalie in the dark holding a knife out in front of her which to my knowledge we have not seen in the series yet so that is to come all of a sudden Lisa comes out of nowhere pointing Natalie's rifle at Natalie because it very much looks like Natalie is about to hurt Lottie. And Lisa can tell that Lottie is already hurt. This doesn't look good if you're a cult member and you come up on this. Your cult leader looks like she's in duress. Lisa looks terrified and completely ill-equipped to be holding this rifle. I mean, Callie looks more natural holding that gun that she got out of her dad's glove box than poor Lisa looks holding this thing. She does not look ready. We jump back to 1996 and Lottie explains that Natalie is chosen because it's the only way to explain what happened to Javi. She says, we tried to kill you and it wouldn't let us. This is definitely pointing at what happens next with adult Natalie. It, the wilderness, is now going to let Natalie pass. Lottie kisses Natalie's hand, and we see Coach Ben standing outside like a weirdo crying because of what he's about to do. Don't get me started. All of the other girls stand and pay respect to Natalie. Everyone does something different. And... It is completely adorable because Natalie is so freaking cute and she doesn't want this. She's not like enjoying this power of the moment. 
it's so sweet and so cute because Natalie is seems genuinely touched by what everyone's doing. She's crying and acknowledging the weight of the moment. And then Travis, his gesture is to take Natalie's hand and put it on his chest. And then he takes a really deep breath so that she can feel it. It was so cute. It was such a little thing. I never thought I would find something like that so adorable. But it it got me right in the feels. I loved that moment. Shauna, I believe, is the last one to pay tribute to Natalie in some way. And I just wanted to take a minute to worry about Teen Shauna. Is anyone else worried about Teen Shauna? I'm freaking out. Teen Shauna is not okay. She was almost completely silent this entire episode, mostly communicating with looks like looking at someone a certain way. This poor freaking girl, guys. I Okay, let's go through it. One, she is still postpartum, which is absolutely no joke. That is a real thing that she is experiencing all on her own as a teenager. Two, the child that she is postpartum with is dead. I can't, three, she had a near-death experience where she imagined living entire days with that child not being deceased, with that child surviving that horrific birth, to then only wake up and, and learn of its death. Okay, four. She's actively starving, which so is everyone else, but it needs to be added to the list. Five, the rest of the group acts like she is the only one who can butcher, forcing Shauna to actually be the one to kill Javi. Yes, I know he is technically dead because he froze to death. Do not come at me telling me he drowned. That is not what drowning looks like, and that is not how long drowning takes that poor kid froze to death. But she's the one who actually has to give him the life-ending injury and then also cut up his entire body by herself. I'm worried about, like, this is not okay. All right, jump to 2021, I guess. Lisa is still pointing the rifle at Natalie and questioning her. Natalie is holding up a knife toward Lisa. Like, that is going to do anything to a rifle. It also, this is weird, honestly. It's not the smartest idea. I am honestly not sure why they had her do that. But the important thing that's happening here is that Misty has pulled out a syringe from her pocket. Natalie drops the knife, has her hands up, and Misty rushes at Lisa. Natalie sees what's happening, and her instinct is to protect Lisa in ways that she couldn't protect other people in the wilderness. 
We see flashes of Teen Natalie pulling the queen card, Javi falling through the ice, Teen Natalie blaming herself for Javi's death to Coach Ben, and then Teen Natalie at the bonfire the night before the plane crash when she was on acid and she hallucinates Misty looking confused and coming out of the woods. There's a lot to analyze there. And I think I'm going to make a whole separate video on that. But chaos ensues in the present day. Natalie jumps in front of Lisa. Misty stabs Natalie with the syringe right in the chest. The implication being maybe even directly into her heart. And Misty is horrified. As Natalie is passing, she has visions of being on the plane. At first by herself, and we come back to reality and see everyone freaking out, except Lisa, who is nowhere to be seen for the entire rest of the episode. Where did Lisa go? I, I'm bothered. If that is something that happened because of, like, actor availability, I just... It feels it's the only time I've ever been like that's a pretty big plot hole right there. I I'm bothered by that. I do not appreciate that at all. Even in the scene and I will post it perhaps as like the thumbnail for this video. But even in the scene directly following like Natty Natalie falling to the ground. We are still in the woods. There was just a rifle held by Lisa pointed at Natalie. Lisa is gone. I'm I'm not okay with that. So I'm going to be researching that as soon as I'm done with this. Callie is sobbing. Natalie falls to the ground. Misty says there's nothing they can do. It's too late. And adult Natalie is back to the plane. There's a bright light and we have Javi who says there's nothing to be afraid of, you know? And Natalie says, no, I'm not supposed to be here. Teen Natalie shows up on her other side and says, we both know that's not true. This is exactly where we belong. We've been here for years. Now, there's a lot of people I'm assuming, who are going to freak out and say that that is because everyone on the plane has been dead all along and that this is just lost part two. No, guys, calm down. That can't be right. I'm refusing to believe that. I, I will not believe that. Adult Natalie on the plane starts to cry and teen Lottie appears where Javi once was and puts her hand on Natalie's chest the same exact way that Travis did when he was acknowledging Natalie as the leader. Teen Lottie says, Natalie, it's not evil, just hungry like us. Just let it in. And adult Natalie grabs teen Lottie's hand on her chest and takes a deep labored breath and... I am assuming experiences death, which is very scary. Okay. Obviously, this death points a little bit back to the personified wilderness being some sort of deity that has control over these people, even in death. 
I'm not going to argue one way or the other on this because the writers want it left right here with the information that we currently have. It's something that they're obviously going to explore more in the upcoming seasons. It absolutely breaks my heart that Natalie experienced so much fear right before in in death, actively dying. If I could change the world, like one thing about the world, I would probably make it so that everyone has a peaceful death. It's just something that really stresses me out. I'm glad that she saw Javi and that she saw her teen self because I do think adult Natalie loves teen Natalie, loves that girl and really wants to protect Lisa in ways that she couldn't protect her teen self. It made me really sad for her that she didn't see Travis. I know that we saw Travis's autopsy photos in season one. And if we hadn't, I would probably be saying that he was alive specifically because Natalie did not see him while she was dying. I'm just saying. That is what I would say if I thought that. Seeing teen Lottie was interesting. I know there's a theory that adult Lottie isn't actually Lottie and that it's actually adult Mari. I never bought that theory, but if I did, I would point to this moment. There's not a whole lot of reason that Natalie would see teen Lottie other than the fact that the girls saw her as some kind of guru, but we just spent this whole episode establishing the fact that Lottie is no longer the leader. We don't see Lottie lead in any way, shape, or form except to announce that Natalie is the one who should lead them. I'm going to make a separate video on Juliette Lewis possibly having left the show early and this maybe not being what the creators originally wanted for Natalie, so I'm not going to get into all of that right now. But at the end of the day, this death is incredibly tragic. And Natalie is a character that I've just always hurt for. She, in my opinion, is one of the most relatable characters. I think she's just incredibly sympathetic. I know that there is a lot of controversy around her drug addiction. And I understand that I don't want to invalidate anyone's feelings around a character experiencing addiction. I just think personally, from knowing people who have suffered from addiction, it would take any one of these traumas, like anyone with one of these traumas. And Natalie has experienced so much that it just, it does not surprise me that she self-medicated the way that she did. Okay. <clears throat> Jumping sideways a bit, all of the worlds are converging. All of the 2021 worlds are converging right now. The police arriving on the scene attribute Natalie's death to a drug overdose, which is technically true. Frankly, 
there's a lot of unanswered questions here about the logistics of what the police would and wouldn't accept as answers from the rest of the women. And I'm going to hold off on that until we get season three and see if we get some answers. We see Callie and Shauna while Lottie is being led over to medical attention. And Lottie is still just staring with an insane look at Callie. Like if somebody stared at me the way that Lottie is staring at Callie, I would need to leave that location immediately. Walter runs up to Misty, happy as a clam, and says, I've taken care of the Adam Martin situation. You and your friends will be safe now. (laughs) Misty says, Walter, I killed my best friend. This is the second time in one season that we've seen Misty accidentally kill someone that she considered to be her best friend. This is going to bring up a lot of trauma for her. We've already seen her kind of shut down things that remind her of what happened with Crystal. So I can only imagine how triggering this must be for her. We see Creepy Cop talking to the other police officers. We're led to believe that he's taken Walter's deal and chosen to be the hero in the situation. I do find it hard to believe that we have an overdose resulting in death, a gunshot wound on a person who is experiencing a psychiatric emergency, and a murdered police officer with three gunshot wounds, and the police are just like, oh man, this is a crazy night. I find that hard to believe. Again, I will be waiting for season three to see how this is actually handled because I don't buy at all that the local police would just be like, yeah, that's just a normal Friday night in the town. Thaisa tells Lottie that she's going to back to the hospital but promises that her and Van are going to come check on her. And Lottie says, we gave it what it wanted. It is pleased with us. You'll see. And Van looks absolutely horrified, which is really frustrating because she seemed to freaking be all about it an hour ago. There's a very long shot of Shauna looking at Callie and we're supposed to be thinking about traumatic cycles and how hurt people hurt people. Harken back to Shauna saying that she tried to always be distant from Callie because she didn't want to hurt her. And here we are. Callie just experienced a lot, a lot of trauma. We have our final cut back to 1996. Shauna is in the attic writing in her journal. There are some things that we can gather from it. I saw the lines, how could it not have been me? I used to think it was Jackie who made me feel invisible, but, and then she hears the crackling. And she screams down to the others to wake up, grabs her journals and her backpack, and then she runs back for Jackie's dress, which was such a nice little detail I appreciated. 
When she gets downstairs and wakes everyone up, we see that the cabin is on fire from the outside. And we know that Coach Ben did this. And he's also managed to get every exit either locked or in some way shut so that they cannot get these doors open. They are trapped inside. They break the door down, and I am honestly amazed at how these girls handle this emergency. They are so fast and so resourceful. They manage to get a lot of stuff out of that cabin. Again, they are going to be pretty screwed without this cabin, but I was impressed at how much they were able to get out, so screw you coach ben you thought you could hold teenage girls down and you couldn't once again (sighs) they're all huddled and sobbing and there's like close-ups on many of them and natalie goes from crying to this look of sheer anger because she knows She knows who did this, and she is pissed. Maybe I'll use that picture as the thumbnail. We'll see. And that is how season two concludes. Coach Ben is the villain. I always knew that he was. And I just wanted to end this by saying, pay the writers. Pay the writers. Love the writers, pay the writers, like and subscribe. Love you guys.